BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be bold. Venture wisely. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Happy New Year, everybody. 2020 is finally over. And what a year it was. The pandemic, shelter in place, school over Zoom, police shootings, protests, wildfires, smoky skies, heartbreak. But all year long, there were people who stepped up, who kept going, who sacrificed so much. Not politicians or celebrities, but regular folks. And we brought you some of their stories throughout the year. Today on the California Report magazine, we're going to revisit some of our favorites. We'll meet a pair of volunteer firefighters who found themselves battling a blaze in the mobile home park where their own families live. It was hard seeing this place burning down and just trying to do my job at the same time. When I came here, everything was fully engulfed. Plus, people with disabilities have been especially vulnerable during the pandemic. We meet an activist who helped create a safety net of support, starting with his neighbors. This is one of the ways in which we contribute to society. We show people that even as we keep going, they have to keep going. And a teenager who balanced finals and schoolwork with organizing a massive protest against police violence and racism. I think the most radical thing as black and brown people that we can do is be happy. I'm Sasha Coca, and this is the California Report magazine. Your state, your stories. Of course, some of the people who inspired us most in 2020 were healthcare workers. We're going to start our show off today with a story from last April when we first found ourselves in the grip of the pandemic. We knew it was taking a big toll on healthcare workers and wondered how it was impacting their families. We asked the children of first responders to share their stories with us. Since both of my parents are in the medical field, there's just so much tension between everybody in our house. We tried to not talk about COVID at home, kind of avoid it, because then we talk about it for the rest of the night and then it just gets to be no fun. Yeah, I worry that he's going to get the virus and, like, he won't survive. He can't say it's going to be okay because if it's not, he'd be lying. I was really struck by a pair of teen siblings from Clovis near Fresno. Marina Rocha was a senior, her brother Marshall a sophomore. Their mom, Tamu Bustos, works as an ER nurse at Highland Hospital in Oakland. She sleeps in a trailer when she's in the Bay Area, but when she gets a day off, she makes the three-hour drive home to see her kids. With coronavirus, those visits got a lot tougher. I love to, like, give her a hug and make sure she's fine. 
because I'm I'm a mama's boy. I love my mom. She's really sweet, kind, and amazing. I really don't know what I would like do if she got hurt or sick. Obviously, we couldn't touch each other. We can't give her hugs. She always says, I don't want to put you at risk. She doesn't want to come into the house at all. She's trying to limit how long she may- sees us and how much. Like the last two times, we only got to see her for roughly an hour. Marina and Marshall's dad is home with them when their mom's away. Last time they saw her, they noticed a change. Her eyes started to bag and darken. You know, it's clear she's not getting as much sleep. She looked like she lost a lot of weight, you know, from stress alone. Anytime they do see her, they stay much more than six feet apart. We went through like a sonic drive through We sat in our cars. I rolled down my back window. My younger brother sat in the back seat. She rolled down her passenger window. We talked to from our cars, you know. We walked to the school that's right down the street from my house. We sat on one side of the stadium. She sat on the other. You know, we had some breakfast together. Last week, Marina celebrated her 18th birthday. Happy birthday to you. No big party, but her mom got a day off work and stood far away wearing a mask as Marina blew out her candles. Make a wish, blow out your candles. Marina won't get a high school graduation this year either, but all those milestones, she says, don't mean as much as they once did. We get to hear all the horror stories of the ER room, you know. You know, you realize this is not something to joke around about. There are people who actually don't get the same opportunities you do. Marina and Marshall say they're worried about their mom, but they know she's one tough cookie. In all honesty, the best words I can say is hard ass. The joke with her has always been, you know, it doesn't matter if you start to bleed or you break a bone or whatever, you just put a Band-Aid on it. But at the same time, she loves us and she tries to be there for us. We have a more real connection. We have a more real perception of life as well, you know? Say, like, on the topic of of death, we already know what she wants when she dies. And it's it's a very normal conversation for us. That's what we expect. We can talk about things like that because that's what she faces every day. When people ask you if you want to be a nurse, what do you say? No, 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 no. I value sleep. I value sanity. Are you sleeping at night? Not really. You know, laying in bed at night, all the worst case scenarios that could happen to your mom, you know. Hi, guys. Hi, Mom. Hey, Mom. How are you? How are you doing? When do you think you'll be coming back? I don't know, honey. We gotta... I want to make sure you're safe. I don't want to potentially bring something home that you guys They talk to their mom every day on the phone. This will be all over soon. I promise. It'll... It's gonna get better. I miss you, Mom. I miss you too, baby. We love you. I love you too. I love you both very much. Mm, we love I'm you, Mom. Sorry. sorry I'm gone so much, but it'll be done soon. Hopefully. Hopefully things will get back to semi-normal soon. I miss you, Mom. Marina and Marshall have different ways to take their minds off things. I do a lot of woodworking. I'm working on a turtle. In the future, I want to make mom 
a frog because she loves frogs? Yeah, while my sister does that, I like to either listen to music or play games with friends because my friends know what I'm going through, (laughs) helping me like get through this and making me feel like she's going to be okay. Is there like a song that's like kind of you're in your mom's song that you listen to? That's Life by Frank Sinatra. It's basically talking about, yeah, there's there's a lot of problems in life and it'll beat me down, but I'll still stand up and keep on fighting. That's life. That's life. That's what all the people say. You're riding high in April, shot down in May. I view my mom as like that. No matter how bad things get, she still tries to fight and do good for my family. Back on top in June. Marshall and Marina Rocha from Clovis. Their mom, Tamu Bustos, is an ER nurse. And it's so chilling to hear her tell her kids this will be over soon. That was last April. on a dream. But I don't let it, let it get me down. Cause this A month later, we brought you a show about how the pandemic was making it tough for a lot of Californians with disabilities. Our intern, Ariela Markowitz, brought us a story about a man named Hector Ramirez. He's autistic and a disability rights activist in L.A. His daily routine is really important to him. The pandemic disrupted all that. But he figured out a way to create a new routine that also helped his neighbors. So this is me doing something on the weekend. <laughs> I decided to put together a little flyer for some of my neighbors. It was late in March when Californians were starting to panic about coronavirus. And Hector Ramirez posted this video on YouTube. And so with everybody just kind of hoarding uh, and panicking right now, they really made things a lot more difficult for some of the people who are most vulnerable right now, which is our seniors and our disabled. Hector has a round, expressive face and really kind eyes. He's 45, and he lives with his mom in a rent-controlled mobile home park in Chatsworth in the San Fernando Valley. Most of his neighbors are elderly and disabled, so he posted flyers on folks' doors, asking them to reach out if they needed food delivered. That's what I'm doing, you know, instead of panicking, which I am. But this is kind of how I'm working with my anxiety. Hector says he doesn't like feeling helpless. Before the pandemic, he often volunteered at his neighborhood food pantry. He's on the board of directors for the National Disability Rights Network and for Disability Rights California. But now, his work is focused on the people around him. Many of his neighbors responded to his flyers, saying they couldn't get to the grocery store. So he's delivering meals to them. That's what I'm doing to take care of my family and my community. In solidarity, people. Yes, in solidarity. Hector has autism, and he's hard of hearing. For him, routine is really important. He has these rituals that are comforting to him. He loves taking his service dog on two walks every day. I I had to say hello to people. And I have like a certain number, like 30 people. I have to say hello. And, uh, And so when I'm walking around, I do that with my neighbors. So everybody thinks that I'm really sociable, but I'm actually very introverted. I'm actually really shy. But now, because of social distancing, there's no one to say hi to on those walks. 
So I've just had to really make new routines. Instead, he waves to his neighbors out the window. And he leaves peanut butter outside at night for skunks. He says the animals represent humility in his indigenous culture. He says sheltering in place weirdly reminds him of his childhood, growing up in Camarillo State Mental Hospital in Ventura County. He was sent there when he was four. But when Hector was 14, he was able to transition back to living with his family. And Hector and his mom are living together, navigating their relationship in close quarters. We've ridden a roller coaster of emotions and moods. There's days and times where we both cope with it really good, and there's times where we both really struggle and we can lose our tempers. He says even though their relationship can be strained, he's grateful they get to have time together, time that was taken away from him as a kid. There's so many people that are, are mourning, uh, you know, losses right now. Um, and so I, I, I have to be mindful and respectful of that, you know, while trying to deal with my anxiety. Hector says the disabled community is often left behind when it comes to disasters. pg e power shutoffs, wildfires... But for his whole adult life, Hector worked as an activist, lobbying for better access and social safety nets for people with disabilities. This is one of the ways in which we contribute to society. We show people that even as we keep going, they have to keep going. Recently, Hector went to downtown L.A. to be tested for COVID-19. He told me that on the way to the bus stop, he was anxious, but then he saw eagles flying above his house. He posted a video to Twitter and wrote, I take it as a very important sign for my ancestors to keep going and be safe. I don't know how to make eagle sounds. All I know how to do is talk to crows. Hector had been feeling sick, and he wanted to know if he had the virus. And a few days later, his COVID-19 test came back negative. For him, it's a sign to keep helping people. For The California Report, I'm Ariella Markowitz in L.A. We are here to acknowledge the Black people who built this country against their will, the Black women who birthed this country, the reparations we still have yet to take, not receive. Another big story of 2020 was the way so many Californians mobilized for racial justice. Last summer, we brought you the story of 17-year-old Simone Jacques. She organized a protest in San Francisco last June through Instagram. At one point, she stood up on top of a vintage yellow school bus and spoke to the thousands of people who'd gathered. It wasn't like inspiration or, wow, I really want to do something for my community. It was more of like, I love my community so much and I love the people around me so much that I never want them to have to lose somebody they love or one of them get hurt. Simone's the daughter of immigrants. Her mom was born in Mexico. Her dad is from Haiti. I love my dad. I love my cousins. I love my tios. All of them have had interactions and situations dealing with police brutality and being victims of police brutality. And, like, I'm fighting for them. 
She says she's also fighting for the mission, the historically Latino neighborhood in San Francisco where her mom and her grandparents settled in the 1960s. Today, gentrification has turned many of the panaderias and botanicas into hipster coffee shops. I'm fighting for my home. Like, I'm fighting for my human rights and my ability to breathe air into my lungs. But Simone says it's sometimes hard to explain to the Mexican side of her family what her experience is like as a young Black woman. Growing up, there was um, a flip side of like being Afro-Latina, and people are being surprised when I speak Spanish. I still experience hella racism in my, or hella anti-Blackness in my communities um, and my family. The United States' agenda has always been to profit off of Black and brown bodies. Like, the other day, my tia texted me, and she was like, you know, I would have come, but I didn't get an invite. I don't have to extend an invitation or educate anybody. That's not my job. If you love me enough as your Black niece, as a Black person, a Black woman, you show up, period. You know, sometimes my mom doesn't understand, because my mom is Mexican. Simone lives with her mom and her grandma, They're community activists, too. They organize things like the local Carnaval Parade and celebrations for Mexican Independence Day. The ideas that my generation believes in is a lot more radical. I don't have faith in our political system at all. I don't have faith in politics at all. These systems were not built for us. They were built on top of us. So why do I care if I need a permit for the city? I don't care. Are you kidding me? I don't care. Um, This isn't a parade. So why would I go through the system when I want radical change? We're looking for the police department to be defunded. We do not need police. We are tearing down this entire system that was built on indigenous people, that was built on black people, that was built on immigrants, and making a system, a decolonized system, that is built for us. That means changing our curriculums. That means building our own schools with money that is taken from the police department, taken from the military. I asked Simone where she sees herself in five years, in 10. I see myself getting the education that I'm deserving of as a black woman. I see myself taking freedom with other black and brown people and protecting my right to happiness. I think the most radical thing as black and brown people, that we can do is be happy. Activist Simone Jacques, who organized a youth-led Black Lives Matter demonstration that drew some 10,000 people back in June. Teachers have been working miracles during the pandemic, trying to keep kids connected and engaged over a tiny screen. Last spring, KQED's Julia McAvoy brought us the story of an educator in Sonoma County who works with kids who are visually impaired. He was figuring out some creative workarounds. Here's how Neil McKenzie turned his garage into a tactile production center. When word went out Friday, March 13th, that schools were shutting down starting that Monday, Neil remembers just kind of freezing in place in his office. So what can I do? What's like the most important thing? It's so overwhelming, you must have to just focus on one thing. Neil works with visually impaired students from kindergarten all the way to high school age. So what he focused on were the machines, the ones that can print out the assignments and instructions in Braille. We were talking about kids who really just need 
that braille and they need that tactile reference. There's really no stand-in for that. So Neil sprang into action. I was able to go back to our office for I think I had half an hour. And he started moving these large machines into his small compact car. They now sit in his garage along a wall in between the car and his laundry machines. So now we're gonna walk over to my left because I can't go the other way because the cars are blocking it. And we are walking up to my 3D printer, which is also going. And you can also hear (laughs) the washer and dryer. So this place gets pretty noisy. Neil is what's called an assistive technology specialist for the Sonoma County Office of Education. So he's the guy who helps students learn how to use tech solutions to accelerate their learning and participate in class. So when schools shut, Neil knew he had limited time to instruct his visually impaired students on how to navigate this new tool everyone was suddenly using to hold their virtual classrooms called Zoom. Because some of them were like, oh, in three days, I'm having my first Zoom class and we're, we're going to get going. And I'm absolutely worried about it because some of these things haven't been tested. You know, a lot of these programs, I'd say one out of three aren't accessible to some of our students. Neil's been working with the Sonoma County Schools for 11 years now. He kind of fell into it, if you can believe that. He was working construction during the Great Recession in 2008, and he was out of work. So he started volunteering to help visually impaired students and got hooked. And that is how he met Mario Chitwood. I met him in third grade. Mario's in high school now. While other teachers see students come and go, Neil keeps working with students like Mario through their entire time in the district. He loves bad jokes. (laughs) I like this one. I waited and stayed up all night and tried to figure out where the sun was. Then it dawned on me. Uh, yeah, you get the idea. He's just a great guy to be around. He makes people around him happy. But it was the assistive technology that really connected these two. They loved finding anything that could make Mario's life more interesting or make him more independent. We just began to bond over finding new things. And I pushed him to, like, teach me. We push each other, really. After Mario's family lost their entire home in the massive 2017 Tubbs fire, it was Neil who helped Mario get a new computer designed for the visually impaired, a pricey one called a Polaris. And it's Neil who's been delivering Braille materials printed out from the machines in his garage right to Mario's doorstep during the entire time of this pandemic. Because right now the math that I'm doing, it has to do a lot with visuals. So he prints out like diagrams, and I can then get the same information that a sighted person would get. It's been two long months since school campuses closed, and Neil says things are getting a little better. As far as Zoom goes, he did manage to get his students what they need to translate their screen into Braille. He's still just trying to run slightly ahead of classroom teachers to make sure his students get the tech they need. Trying to make sure that they're not left behind with this remote learning. So Neil continues to problem solve. He's just set up another mini factory in a Braille teacher's garage. So she too can print and deliver materials to students. For the California Report, I'm Julia McAvoy in Sonoma County.
2020 was also an unprecedented year for wildfires. California just keeps burning, even during a pandemic. And many of those bravely fighting fires are inmates or volunteers. More than two-thirds of the nation's firefighters hold down day jobs and respond to emergencies in their local communities. Last fall, as fires were breaking out across the state, KQED science reporter Leslie McClurg brought us this story of two courageous volunteers in Napa County. An hour and a half northeast of San Francisco, multiple work crews sever blackened tree limbs at Spanish Flat Mobile Home Villa. Brandon North steps onto a concrete slab that was his home. Somewhere over here in this concrete pad, there's uh, footprints from my baby brother. He picks up a warped piece of metal. A cloud of ash settles into the imprints of two tiny feet. About a stone's throw away, Becca Brown Diener steps over a twisted birdcage on her family's property. This was my uh, twin brother's room, but now that's all gone. She tries to wave away tears. Brandon hugs her. They've been dating since high school. We would always go over to his house, play, you know, play board games, and our, our families are really close. So we did a lot of movie nights, dinner parties, camping trips. Now Becca is 23 and Brandon is 25. The young couple live together about 10 minutes up the road. They're campground hosts on Lake Berryessa and they're trained as firefighters. As a volunteer, Brandon doesn't have to respond to every emergency page he receives, but he always does. I feel obligated. Um, if you're able to go, you should go, whether it's small or big, to whoever called that's the worst day of their life. A few weeks ago, Brandon and Becca were asleep in their small white trailer when a lightning storm exploded in the sky. I'm terrified of lightning, so I was just kind of videotaping it, and I woke him up, and I was just recording it. And the radio started going crazy. We did have a couple small fires start. Becca and Brandon headed to the fire station. It was the first time Becca answered a call that wasn't a medical emergency. By the afternoon, the small fires had turned into infernos. Seeing fire for the first time like that, I was terrified. Walls of flame, 100 feet high, swept over ridges. Becca jumped on an engine, and Brandon headed to the front line. The next day, flames swept down the grassy hill toward Lake Berryessa. Brandon and Becca spent all day and all night cutting back brush and tree limbs and saved the campground. At dawn, they celebrated. So I was excited because I like fighting fire. But then when it started to get into housing areas and stuff, the excitement went away and more of uh, anger started to set in, I guess. The next night, he fought the fire at the mobile home park where he and Becca grew up and where their families still live. It was hard seeing this place burning down and just trying to do my job at the same time. When I came here, everything was fully engulfed. As white, hot fire incinerated trailers, Brandon helped the few remaining residents to flee. They were people he'd known his whole life. After everyone escaped, he climbed into his truck and called Becca to tell her their family's homes were gone. My heart broke. Um, I just felt devastated and hopeless. I didn't know what really to do. And then when I came home, it was kind of safe where our trailer is came in, she was sitting there crying, and I was holding her hand and kind of already on a knee, so I was like, well, it's in my pocket. He's talking about the ring. He grabbed it to make sure it didn't burn. She's a mess. 
Might make her feel better. Finally, he asked me to marry him. <laughs> he wasn't planning on popping the question, nor did they have time to digest the big news. They continued to fight the fire for two more weeks. Brandon says he slept about eight hours in the first seven days. Now they're helping their families resettle outside of California. Becca would love to go too, but Brandon shakes his head. Not only is this home... I guess a uh, callous way of saying it, this is where the action is, so it's where I want to be. They hope to celebrate their engagement before the next wildfire strikes Northern California. For the California Report, I'm Leslie McClure in Napa County. And that's our New Year's edition of the California Report magazine. We're a production of KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. Victoria Mauleon is our senior editor. Our director is Amanda Font. Seal Muller is our technical producer. I'm Sasha Coca. This is the California Report magazine. Your state, your stories. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.